what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of One Mic Night Podcast, the podcast that brings you stories of artists and people on their journey, helping to guide, answer questions, and inspire you in the business. My name is Marcos Luis, and if you haven't already, please make sure you download, follow, subscribe to the podcast. I have so many beautiful people that I want to share with you, and I want to make sure that you get it. Also, click the bell and the notification because you never know when I'm going to drop a new episode and I don't want you to miss anything. For those of you who are listening on the audio podcast, make sure you slide on over to YouTube to One Mike Night. Check out the video podcast, but just to let you know, there are going to be different things on each one, so make sure you listen to both. All right, my guest today, I am so, so excited about. He is a multimedia artist. He's a phenomenon. He is a writer, a photographer, a spoken word artist, um, an actor, you name it, he is it. And he is a phenomenon. So please welcome Sage Gallon to One Mike Night. What's up, Sage? <laughs> What's up, Marcus? It's such an honor and such a pleasure to be here, brother. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. First of all, listen, I have questions. Okay. It's Sage Yellen. Ah! <laughs> yeah. That is a great question. Who yeah. is Sage Gallon? Who is Sage Gallon? An artist, an explorer, um, a brother, a son, a nephew, an uncle, a godfather, a human being. Um, an artist. I'm an artist. In that order? Not necessarily. I mean, it's interesting, you know, things um, come up as they come up. And, you know, you are what you are when you are that in the, that part of yourself. And, you know, we, we have, we're, we're, we're a whole of a lot of pieces. And um, it depends on which piece I'm presented with, which uh, presentation I'm presented with. And, you know, um, I'm someone who's still learning who that person is. Um, you know, I, I hope that we're all continuously growing, that we are all um, rediscovering who we are. And I, I get to be in that space, in that place of, you know, adding more pieces to that pie. Mm. If, if you understand, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. How did you get so? Where 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 are you from? First of all, where were you? Born? Um, I, I was born in Long Island, Wine Dance, Long Island. Um, my my parents were two children who had a child. Uh, they were both teenagers, young teenagers, and um, you know, they weren't unmarried at the time. Well, they were unmarried, and my dad was drafted off to Vietnam. My mom um subsequently got into some issues with um substances uh she was sent off when i was two to um a place called Sinanon, which was a commune in northern california my dad when he returned from vietnam um like a lot of the young black boys in in small towns like wyandance came back with severe issues of post-traumatic stress syndrome and of course they didn't have those titles or names back then um, when my dad wanted to get custody of me, uh, I was subsequently sent off to the commune where my mother was. 
I was introduced to my mother at the age of four. Um, she had been gone for a two-year span from my life, uh, physically. Um, and um, I was—I spent my formative years in a commune in Northern California, Sinanon. And although I knew who my mother was to me in relationship to the bio biological relationship, she wasn't my primary caretaker at, in that in that span of time. So, can I, I just want to stop you for a second? Can you explain to you know the listeners what a commune is and what what it would what it is basically? A, a commune is a um, communal living. Is a it was kind of like um, you know what's fascinating. Marcus, is that like I could look back at this experience and I think it was one of the most euphoric experiences of my life. But when I hear other elements or other people's perspective, it, it gives it a little bit more depth. Um, so a communist where a bunch of people live together, work together, it's like a big family. So, you know, essentially I was raised by about 500 people from every walk of life, every, you know, color, every religion, every orientation. Um, so like I grew up in, in a, an environment where, you know, as kids, we played in, in our backyard were acres and acres of mountains and hills. And we have a big Creek running down the thing. I, I was raised in, uh, an environment where none of those isms from racism to misogyny even entered my universe. Like my blackness had yeah. never been a deficit. Huh? Yeah, that was gonna. That was my question. How was that? Because you had, you know, so many different races and people and mm -hmm. cultures, and you know, how did that? How did that shape you? How did that affect you? How was it, the awareness? It was, it was amazing. It was amazing because I never seen myself as inferior. It was amazing. I never thought of a woman as less than, or as property, or as something amazing because I could. Um, Really, I, I grew up in my formative years really understanding that we're all connected, which now even to this day informs my work. Um, it was incredible for me. Like there were things that occurred in that time, um, but for the most part, it was just really euphoric is the one word I could describe my formative years. And uh, then we moved to Harlem in 79 <laughs> very very interesting yeah i was gonna say what a what an interesting time to be in a commune in the 70s first of all because first of all you know the united states was going through an, an awakening period mm -hmm. and sort of a freedom you know where specifically people of color african-americans there was an awareness you know an african awareness mm -hmm. relation um, and then to be in a melting pot where you have everybody together. Yeah. And one of the things that I always say is that I feel like traveling and learning about other cultures is the best education you can have. Well, absolutely. You know, so how did that, how did you take all that? And then from there to Harlem, where did that put, where did that put you? Well, you know, it was fascinating to me because like, you know, I, I grew up in an environment which was very eclectic to come out of that, to be taken out of that. Like literally my mother and her husband, my stepfather at the time, were like, okay, well, we're leaving. And my response to them in Synanon was like, okay, well, see you later and make sure you write. 
Um, because like I said, you know, she wasn't my primary caretaker. Mm. They weren't my primary caretakers. So when I, when I left with them, it was kind of devastating because I was taken out of an environment where, you know, it was like being pulled out of some of a womb, right. if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, we were placed in Harlem and I'm this nine year old at the time, I was nine years old. And um, all I knew at that point was the experiences that I had encountered. So I thought that everyone was like a family and it was a really harsh awakening. It was um, it was almost a, it was a cruel awakening um, to realize that people really were cold and isolated, that they were scared and defensive, that they were aggressive. Um, and my, 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 my mom and thinking they were doing the best for me, put me in a Catholic school, um, uptown. And, uh, that was crazy to me because I'm a little hippie kid. Like I'm a black bohemian kid from a commune. So, you know, there's one instance where, you know, Johnny two desks behind me fell asleep and I was tired too. So I figured, well, I'll take a nap too. And this nun smacks me with a ruler, waking me up. And I was like, and you know my my only re- my only reaction to that was, you know what you're really uptight. You need to get laid, like <laughs> <laughs> to the nun, to the nun. Wow. You know, and luckily, wow. um, you know, I've been very very fortunate that in various stages of my life, people, um, I've had buffers and insulators placed in my life. People who understood, and um. You know, think in that situation, it was the principal, you know, and then we moved to Hempstead, Long Island, where I was, where I grew up mm-hmm. and I spoke differently and I listened to different music. So I kept getting this, um, you're trying to be white thing from the, from, you know, the kids. So I didn't understand that because I never felt that white was superior or right. black was inferior. So I didn't understand like, well, what are you saying? You know, I, I didn't understand that. So it took a lot of adjustments um, from on my part. And, you know, the household itself was kind of um, getting kind of janky at that time where my mother and her then husband were getting into issues and fights. And, um, you know, and I was sinking into um, what, what I can look at now as a massive um, depression. I think my first suicide attempt was when I was, 10 years old. I tried to hang myself from um, my door with a belt. Um, so there was a lot of emotional stuff going on then. And um, did you feel yeah. like, did you feel a disconnect from, was it, where, where did you feel the disconnect? Or I, I can't even say it was a disconnect. It was something deeper to me than a disconnect. A disconnect to me is applies some kind of association i had primary caretakers were virtual strangers to me um the the environment from which i came no longer existed and not only did synanon no longer exist to me i was um i was asked not to really talk about it because you know remember at that time you talk about communes and synanon itself had changed at that time but you had jim jones charles manson yeah all of these other things so it was stigmatized like don't say anything about coming from here because you know in you know the the culture shock and even with my mom you know now uh, after the divorce um 
and being a single parent um, and trying to find work, it was just like, it was a really, um, it was a really difficult time. And then, you know, coming back to New York where I'm introduced then to my father, um, you know, and I gotta say this, like I had two amazing parents. They were both brilliant, brilliant, brilliant human beings. Um, in an equal world, I think either of them could have taken over the planet. Um, they were both that brilliant. Um, they were both, especially my dad, though, both very broken human beings. So my relationship with my father was tenuous at best at times. But, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. It took a lot to, um, to, to really kind of understand and um, adjust to. So fast forward a little bit to schooling. Did you mm -hmm. study any art or how did the whole? You know, no, no, I didn't actually, you know, it's funny. Up. Yeah, it's, it's, well, you know, because how, how, I have siblings, I have a sister and four brothers mm -hmm. from my dad and, I, and with me and my mother was just me by myself. And, you know, in back in the seventies and late seventies, early eighties, you, you know, it was a different era. So I was like a lat I was a latchkey kid, they call us. Um, you know, kids who kind of went home by themselves, prepared dinners right. and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So because of the the psychological issues that were going on with me, I always found refuge in art. Like I would sit and draw for hours and hours and hours and hours and just found comfort in that. Um, the only art training that I've ever had was in high school. My my high school art teacher, Linda Shear. That's the only training in anything that I do that I've ever had. So did you start off painting? You start off visual art? Oh, God, no. <laughs> what do you no. have? What was um, the first medium? Pencil drawing. I, pencils. Right. Uh, yeah, like pencil and paper. And that was it. Like a number two pencil. And give me a number two pencil and a bunch of, uh, a lot of some some paper. I'm, I'm golden. Um, then in high school, meeting Miss Shear, um, she started teaching me past and other mediums, but I never painted. I was always terrified of painting, actually. Painting scared me. Really? I was like, Why? You know, Why? Yeah, because in my mind, I, I was like, what if you make a mistake, you can't erase it? Oh, so yeah. So I didn't start painting until, like, my early 20s, actually. Like, painting. So, yeah, and that's when, by the, that time, you know, I was already strung out on crack. I was homeless in D.C., and yeah, uh, when a, a friend of mine who became a mentor, Walter O'Neill, took me to an art supply store and bought me a bunch of paints and stuff. And um, that's how that started. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah. So art kind of saved your life. Art absolutely yes. saved my life. Yeah. That's, wow, that's amazing. Now, see, I don't even know where to begin with you because you are, you know, the people that, that say, jack of all trades master of none but it, for you it mm. seems to be the opposite so i went through your catalog of work and mm -hmm. like everything is amazing or it touches me or it you know it, it reaches out to me in some way something that i can relate to and i know that i'm not the only one how the hell did that happen i mean i think anybody who's lucky enough you know a triple threat you were like, I don't even know the, what the word is for five or six. <laughs> <laughs> but you managed to do a lot of things well. How do you how do you harness all? First of all, first of all, let me let me back up for a moment. 
Okay, so for everybody listening and watching, we've, we've met a couple of times. Okay, there are very few times, I'm a pretty good judge of energy. There are very few times that you meet someone and the energy tells you genius. Like the energy just tells you genius. For me, it's because it is like, this is getting really abstract for me, for, for, for everybody, but it's like energy of dark and light rolling around together. Mm. And not everybody has that. And it's a perfect balance. So when I met you the first time, I felt that energy. So I knew I had a feeling that something like this was gonna happen. Pretty dark black girl, short hair, tight curls dyed blonde, separated between a plexiglass window, name tag red, small. People say she had an attitude, called her mean, they called her rude. I just say she liked to daydream. She didn't belong here with us. Not in that green and black polyester uniform. Heard her once on her lunch, standing in an alley behind the 7-Eleven on Manning Boulevard, moaning her song. Simone was a star. Here with us is where she didn't belong. Simone was a singer and she loved to croon. She came from the gutter, at least that's what one would assume. She grew up on purple rain and put a spell on you. But not even the music could drown out the voices telling Simone what Simone couldn't do. So where do you get your inspiration from for the spoken word, from the poetry? Where did that come from? You know, that was really interesting to me because I can't spell. And, <laughs> really? Uh, you know, I, yeah, no, I, I'm a horrible speller. I, to this day, I, I mess up on my own name sometimes. I'm a horrible speller, but um, I would never have imagined having written a book. Uh, but, you know... 20 some odd years ago, I think um, Kai is 21, 22 now. One of my best friends, her name is Carla Radford, was pregnant with her second child, her daughter, who's an adult now. Mm -hmm. And I did a painting, a watercolor, um, just to give to her, a pregnant woman holding one child sitting on top of the earth. And um, when I finished this painting, um, I kept hearing these words in my head and they were relentless. Like, they were really relentless. They would not not go away and um it was woman uh evolution personified darwin's theory squared a universal enigma broken down mathematically into monthly intervals then they kept going on and i was like okay 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 already all right and i ended up writing the words i heard in my head down and that was my first poem is a piece called woman and um you know, I, I started finding how cathartic writing poetry was because with poetry, 
um, which is different from the other stuff is, is so emotional, is so internal, is, is very like you're, you're getting out the inner, it's like using a Swiffer picker-upper, mm-hmm. but emotionally it's getting in all the crevices and cracks of your emotional condition that, you know, you have to like clean up or get out of you. That's a good way to put it. I never thought about that. But yeah, that's what makes the best poetry. When you bring that out, when you bring those little parts out. Yeah. So yeah. Are you, when, you, when you write, do you just, whatever's in your head, you just let it free, free flow? Yeah. For the most part, yeah. I just, I, I, you know, I, I, I have to kind of go rewind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't take much credit for the things I do. Um, I believe art is spiritual. I believe that God, the mother divine, the universe, that entity is the actual artist. I am a vessel that is used to create stuff. And then the listener, collector, observer becomes part of the trilogy by, you know, bringing themselves into it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So then the next question becomes, how did you tune into that? Um. Because that's something, that? that's something we all we all need to know. I mean, I think, you know, it's there for all of us, but we're just yeah. not listening. We're, we don't tune in. Um, I think my realization of um, when I choose not to listen, when I choose to tune out, how painful my life is at, in those moments, I... I I understand when I am able to remove my ego, my arrogance, my insecurities from the process of creation, when I'm able to be butt ass naked in the process of creation. How important how important is that as an artist, as an artist in general? I I think it's instrumental. I mean I, I I know when I impose myself in a poem, when I impose myself in a photograph, when I impose myself in a painting, I create rubbish. Mm. When I just pray and, and allow the universe, the mother divine to work through me, even if I don't like what's produced, I understand that is perfect. And there have been times, there have been, when, when I wrote, when I um, put together my first album, Naked Under My Clothes, I have a, a good friend, Jaha Zayanambu. She's a, a poet, artist, photographer, painter in LA. She's a powerhouse phenomena. I, I can remember right now, just sitting, remembering the first time I heard her recite her poetry, and I could still get goosebumps. This, and we became very, very good. We are, we are very good friends. And I think she's ex- extraordinary. But when I was putting Naked Under My Clothes together, I only, I knew that she was the only person who I could give this to and have listened to it and give me real critical feedback. There were two pieces on that project that I absolutely hated. Like, I was like, this is... Yeah, let's, let's talk about this piece for a minute. Explain to people what it is, because to the listeners who haven't heard it. I've heard it. Naked, naked under my clothes. Mm-hmm. 
Naked Under My Clothes is my first um, collection of poetry. <laughs> you were asking, like, um, you know, how do you get into that place of, of connection with the Mother Divine? Um, again, I, I had to take my ego and my attitude and my arrogance out. Like, I woke up one morning and I heard in my head, say, you're going to write a book. A book of poetry. I'm like, I ain't got no. What, what are you talking about? Like, I can't spell. Right. I can't right. spell. Like, what do you mean? I'm, and you know, I'm not a technological person, so I don't even know how to do that. Like, I've never done that ever, ever. Thought about doing that, but I'm like, no, baby. I said you're gonna write a book, right? And it's gonna be called Naked Under My Clothes. I'm like, I, I didn't get a damn mind. But then it was like, okay, fine. And like, I went to Kinko's and I actually cut with scissors and pasted with glue. That's how like primitive my understanding of technology was. So when it came to um, the CD, it was the exact same thing. I wake up in the morning, I hear this voice in my head, Sage, baby, you, you're gonna make you a CD of your spoken word stuff. And I'm like, I what are you talking about? Like, are you insane? And I don't, I didn't have, I've never stood in a recording studio. I didn't know any such thing. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, finally I relented. I was like, okay. And I created Naked Under My Clothes, the CD, the spoken word CD. And it's a, a spoken word CD. And like the book, I wanted to take the reader in the book. I wanted to take you through a journey. Mm -hmm. um, Woman is the first poem and then it goes into growing pains. And I refer to him as a character. It's actually me, but I it makes me, it, I can understand it better as a character outside of myself. It takes, a, the, the character takes the, the reader through um, feelings of, of pain and isolation, insecurity and fear as a child, um, into loneliness as an adult, into drugs and addiction, into um, falling in love, um, that relationship breaking up, and then left with the decision, which way do I go? Do I go back to my past life or do I move forward? So it culminates in a piece called, um, I think either me or the dangers of I love you. I think it's me. Um, and so what I wanted to do with the CD was to create something melodic using house music as a base. And the music itself is representative of my growing up in New York City in the early 90s. And that, you know, Junior Velasquez in the sound booth at the sound factory, right, yeah. my group of friends and I just tearing up the dance floor. So it becomes, the music itself becomes a character, sure a does. character in, in the CD. More. I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. And so then it, it turned into the anthology, the visual um, film, the short films. And again, it was the same thing. And by that time, I understood my process. You hear this voice, it says, you're going to make a movie. I'm like, I ain't got no money. Like, I ain't got no money. I ain't got dime. Right. What you talking about? Like, that was my next question. How did you do this? Because it looked like very guerrilla style, mm -hmm. you know, simplistic, but we got the point. The story was told. We un I understood it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I got it. I, I've been very fortunate, Marcus, and, and that's really the reality. That's my truth is, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing at all. I don't. I, so, I do and have... I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but you're, you're exactly right. This, this is the point I want to make. Because we as artists, and for those people who want to become artists or who don't even know how, 
all you have to do is tell the story. Yeah. You don't need the fancy cameras. You don't need mm -hmm. the, you know, all the tricks and bells and whistle. It helps. It makes the story mm -hmm. more beautiful. Tell the story. Tell yeah. the story. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, and that's, I think, is I've never run from a chasing dog. Like, I... I'm, I'm stupid enough not to have fear. Like I'm wow. crazy enough wow. not to be afraid in many regards. Like, I don't know, like, how did it happen? I, I'm very fortunate in that when I wrote Growing Pains, the first uh, installment of the anthology, the, the, the I have three, three short films, Growing Pains, Woman, and um, See Me. Um, for the Naked Under My Clothes anthology, we're going to be moving into a bigger scope of things, making this into a long film, a long format series. But I wrote it with two, I wrote the mother's part with two women in mind. And there could only have been one of two women that could have played this. Halle Berry was one, but she was my second choice. My first choice was a friend of mine who is undoubtedly one of the most incredible actors I know named Tabitha Brown. And when I sent it to Tab and she was like, I love it, I'll do it, you know. And then I had another amazing friend of mine, Eamon Joseph, who um, was like, yeah, of course. And then Sean Carter Peterson. And then this person came in and this person came in and the homeless guy, Robert, um, who I met at the Apple store. So like, Again, I can't really take a ton of credit for this because re the, my reality, my truth is, I understand how blessed and fortunate I am. Right. You know, I get it. I get it. And I'm going to say this to confirm what you just said earlier. This was the universe using you as a vessel mm -hmm. to show, you know, in a wide scope, other artists that this can be done with brilliance you tell okay. the story you know what yeah. i mean yeah so hats off to you now i want to make one quick connection tabitha brown as the tabitha brown that we mm -hmm. all know now from from the uh um what am i trying to say the uh motivational yeah mm -hmm. yeah the motivational words that she videos that she did Yes, and I, I can't even express how there, there, are, there are 9 billion people on the planet right now, Marcus, 9 billion. And this is something I've said since I was a kid. I am more likely to win a $100 million lotto two times in concession, back to back, than I am to have met you. Now, you think about even on a broader level, just the 9 billion people on the planet right now. But think about yourself. Think about you, Marcus. Right. How many sperm cells did your father expel? How many eggs did your mother drop before that one hit that one to bring you into this planet with the 9 billion? Right. Like the, the impossibility of right. our very existence is beyond comprehension. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But... For me to have been a homeless crackhead picking out of garbage cans to eat and prostituting myself, to have been able to navigate or been led to a situation where I'm in class, at Tasha Smith's acting class, to meet the likes of 
Tabitha Brown and Braylee Evans and Eamon Joseph and Lance Gross and uh, Brooklyn and, uh, you know, just a, a group of amazing, talented people. Right. Yeah. And not just to meet them, but to cultivate friendships with them. So when I pick up the phone, I'm like, yo, babe, I'm doing this thing. I don't have any money. I can give you this. And then, I'll, you know, I'm cooking craft services. So lunch will be great. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, you, sure. Listen, like, you, know what it, you know what it is? It's what I said earlier. It's that ball of energy that's the dark mm -hmm. light and the light perfectly formed to create your genius. And Thank we you. all see it. Thank you. Um, but, and, but see, it's reciprocated, I think. And that's what's important exactly. to me is I, I believe in celebrating everybody. I believe in celebrating everybody. You know, um, you know, it's funny. Eamon Joseph is, yeah, you might know him from a, a show called Snowfall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's yeah, in that yeah. too. And, and it's just uh, Sean Carter. And it was just like amazing to create this. And, you know, what was fascinating to me, because like every dime of making that came out of my pocket. Like I worked, I was a server in a restaurant, uh, restaurants in Los Angeles. I worked at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm -hmm. So I was like just, just grinding, trying to, you know, because I believe in I have to pay you something. And even Amy was like, I'm not taking the money. I had to force this brother to right. take my change that I could give him. Um, and, and that's brilliant. And, um, you know, I, it wasn't too, I, I, it, they don't have like 10 million views or likes or anything, but I will tell you this. Um, when we shot Woman and Tabitha's, like the first video, Growing Things, this kid's perspective, this kid living in a hellish environment. Um, the mother, who was a good mom at one point, becomes, you know, hooked on drugs. And, you know, he, she becomes a prostitute. And he's in the bathroom. This guy gets up to molest him in the bathroom. And he shoots the guy and runs out the house. Mother, um, woman follows the kid out of the house. Tabitha, the mother's perspective. Um, when we... After we shot an edited woman, um, this young woman who, who followed, we followed, we're friends on Facebook, who never met in person, but we're friends on Facebook. Um, she DM'd me, she inboxed me. She said, so Sage, you know, um, we don't know each other. We follow each other on, on Facebook. And I just want you to know that I just finished watching your, well, I watched your video, Woman. And she said, I really want you to know that, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant with my second child. I have a toddler and I'm pregnant with my second child. And I was in an, in an abusive relationship. And I watched your video and I left. Wow. And, wow. you know, uh, the Oscars didn't recognize me that year. Wow. Uh, the, Grammys, the Grammys overlooked me too. But <laughs> there could be nothing more important than, you know, as an artist to have, and that's really the goal is, you know, several goals as an artist am i being truthful am i being honest am i being authentic to the process and to the energy and then you hope if you're if you're if you check that box i hope that it could resonate hopefully with someone what i was ill prepared for and I'm still get emotional here with that, is 
to 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 have someone tell me that something I co-created affected their lives in a in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I didn't need to get the Oscar that year, I didn't need to get the Grammy that year, but what I did get was beyond anything I could have imagined in that one inbox message. That's right. And that's that's the objective to me. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, I would love to be able to, you know, eat and shower and have a you know a comfortable place to live and not be homeless again. But you know, at the end of the day, it's not about the fame or the fortune. Those things are great. Those things are really great. But art, art is about the human connection. Is a spiritual art is a spiritual um, communion. Is you know is 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 a potluck dinner. Yes. You know, and we all, you know, you bring the collard greens, I'll bring the potato salad, but we are going to feed each other. We are. We definitely are. Yeah. Wow. I know. And like you said, you know, the objective is to touch someone or, you know, make people question certain things. Art has always been, you know, the thing that starts a revolution or raises questions or, you know, defies what uh, someone's telling you, the government or wrongdoings. So, you know, this is why we do art. Artists have always been, uh, always, art art has always been on the front lines of revolution. The reason why oligarchs and Nazis and, you know, those folk, the first thing they always do, what's the first thing they do? Burn the books. Burn the books, yep. Take down the art. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the first thing they do because they don't understand like, okay, well, we can't leave these crazy folk take away what we're trying to implement. Right. Like, and you know, you're right. Art has always, always, art has always been the, the physical manifestation of God to me. Right. Art has always been hmm. the rev- the impetus of revolution. It's always been, you know, because it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual process. Right. You know. Yep, you're speaking for a cause, you're speaking for a people, you're speaking for a purpose, you're speaking for a lot of things. Yeah. Right. Including self. Justice. Including the ugly shit. Excuse me. Including the ugly stuff about me. Yes. Like when I'm really butt naked, when I'm really authentic, naked, when I'm naked under my clothes, and I stand there in my truth, and I I, you know, I was like, you know, I'm hurt, I'm lonely, I feel insecure. Um All of those things. And that's what people could relate to and connect to. Because again, we are all intrinsically connected. There's no variation. I'm I'm me uniquely, but not exclusively. That's it. Yeah. Yep. You take off the eyelashes, you take off the wig, you take off the clothes, you take we're all naked. The same. All human. All naked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So let's I want to talk about some of your artwork because I see some okay. of the things in the background there. What, tell us a little bit about some of the art. Um, You know, like I said, you know, when I was living in, when I was homeless in DC, a friend of mine, Walter Neal, um, took me to an art store. He bought me a hundred dollars worth of art supplies, paints, acrylics and watercolors and uh, paper and canvases and sent me back to a place I was sleeping on someone's couch at the time. And 30 minutes later, I remember it. It was my first painting called Blue Solitude. And Walter actually has that now. And, um, you know, I'm sitting on the couch and I have MTV on it. And I'm just, I just get lost in this canvas. 
and I've never painted before, so I don't even know what I'm doing, but I know that I'm lost in this thing. And I was, you know, DC, I was, you know, still smoking crack and homeless pretty much. And I realized how safe in this process I felt. And um, I called Walter back after 30 minutes. I finished the painting and he came back. He was like, oh, crap, this is good. And he was an artist and I respected his work. And so I gave it to him. And that's kind of started my painting. And I did like 400 pieces in the time I was in D.C. I was there for from 93 to 97. And um, when I moved to L.A., I stopped painting. So my work is figurative, abstract for the most part. Um, uh I am. I work in acrylics, watercolors, and oils. Um, Who are some of the influences? If you have any. Oh gosh, yeah, I do actually. Um, Ansel Adams is a photographer. Once famously said something to the effect that, you know, when you look at an artist's, when you look at a photograph, um, you're not just looking at the moment that that photographer pressed that button and went click. What you're looking about, what you're looking at is every book they've read, every movie they've seen, mm. every time their hearts were broken or if they fell in love, every breath they took, every everything, the culmination of all of our lives. So um, life itself is probably the hugest influence in terms of artistically. Gordon Parks, uh, Jeffrey Holder are two of my biggest um influencers and that both of those gentlemen were ands not ors both of them were this photographer and that and dancer and filmmaker and this. Right, yeah so yeah. a lot of what i feel off of is that um vincent van gogh uh and jean michel basquiat um van gogh sold i think one painting in, the, in his lifetime and i believe that painting was sold to his brother i believe his name was george and it was it was like his brother was like so tired of Vincent asking him for money. He was like, oh, damn it, Vincent, just here, here's twenty dollars. Give me that. <laughs> we're, we're good. Um, he was considered a hat. People hated his work. He, they said he couldn't paint. He was rubbish. But he never stopped painting. And to this day, if you say Vincent Van Gogh, he's it's one of the most renowned names in the world of art that you could ever utter. But right. he never gave up, when, even though people said he sucks. Jean-Michel Basquiat, guttural, visceral, beautiful, um, poured just every ounce of himself onto a canvas. And like Vincent Van Gogh, they were like, yo, he'll never, there's a great documentary about Basquiat where this older white guy now who was, a, uh, who was a, one of the big art critics who was saying on, in this documentary, oh, um, Basquiat will never be a really big influence or in the art world. Now, and they were calling uh, Jean-Michel guttural and primal and all of these mm -hmm. dog whistle words back in the day. Right. But when his painting, the untitled painting, sold for $111 million, which made him the highest selling American artist, they took that black moniker off. They were like, oh, they took all of that extra <laughs> stuff off, right? Um, Ramir Beard and uh, uh, Jacob Lawrence um, are huge inspirations to me. Um, you know, I, I I I say my mother was is one of the biggest influences of my artwork, and um, 
women, the women from Kim O'Quinn, my grandmothers, my aunts, mm -hmm. the women who raised me and nurtured me, Debbie Cox, Carla Radford, um, and, and a, a ton more who raised me. Because you'll see most of my influences are feminine. Right, because yeah. women to me are the strongest of the two sexes. Um, so I'm inspired by life. I'm, I'm inspired by the time I picked up a garbage can to pick up a piece of pizza in Penn Station. Um, that informs my work. The, trans, the transgender community that took me into their homes in DC, I'm inspired. I'm in, my work is informed by them. So I'm an amalgamation of all of the things that I've gotten to experience um, over the course of this lifetime. And having, um, having an opportunity to, to pull from different palettes, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's a lot. And, and I can see it in all your work and all Thank the you. different mediums too, yeah. Thank you. So what do you have coming up? <laughs> you know, well, a lot coming up, because I know you were just in Harlem for Harlem Week. And I'm sorry, I missed um, that. Yeah, uh, no worries, no worries. That show's going to be up till the mid-September. Um, you know, I got back to New York on July 8th, and I, I really um, hit the ground running. Um, I am showing at the La Space de Rev Art Gallery, which is located in, at uh, 246 Malcolm X Boulevard at Home to Harlem. Um, so the, I've had my second uh, exhibit there with them, which has been amazing. I'm showing now at Cheryl's Restaurant, which I believe is 246. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the address. I think it's 246 Underhill, um, which is a huge honor for me to show my work at Cheryl's Restaurant. My mother, um, I, I, I live in Park Slope with a, someone who's like a brother to me. His name is Kurt. And um, Kurt and my mom were like mother and son. And um, she he used to take my mother to this restaurant called Cheryl's to get the split pea soup. And my mother loved it. And my, my mom unfortunately passed away in 2019. So to show at this location, is just, it just is so huge to me. Um, what else? I'm in the studio now uh, working on two different projects simultaneously. I'm working on my second album um, called This Is It. Last year when I came to New York, I was here for seven months and um, I reached out to a, a gentleman who's like a big brother to me since I was 10. His name is Daryl Durant. Most people would know him in the industry uh, under the name Shamelo Durant. And Shamelo, uh, along with his partners, Buddha and Spider-Man, were the producers behind um, Buster Rhymes' Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Could See. He did the um, Poison album by Bell Biven DeVoe, the yeah. um, work with Public Enemy and just everybody. Now, he, to me, he was my big brother. And I reached out to Shamelo before coming to New York last year in 2020, 2020, um, just asking him if he knew a recording studio I could record at. And my brother was like, oh, well, what are you trying to record? Send me, the, send me what you're trying to do. So I sent him my phone, spit. This dude sends me back a track. I'm like, wow, wow, wow. It was good. It was like good. Wow. So I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, he wasn't even playing with me. Like, he was mm. like, all right, kid, let's see what you can let's do. Go. So, you know, he made me like kind of step up in a, in a way, which I was like, wow. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Mello passed away earlier this year um, from a heart attack. And, 
it's, it's, we're still grieving, but we're still uh, continuing. There's a friend of uh, my sister now who is associated with, uh, uh, you know, with Shamelo because he was creating a new genre called Spiticulture, which myself and Karen Angelic Creations is a part of. Um, so doing that, um, I'm also, and then recently uh, this uh, record label in, based in Australia reached out to me mm-hmm. about um, working on some tracks with them. Um, so I've been having a blast writing stuff for that, um, for the, them as well. We just shot my first video, music video from my This Is It album um, um, called Spit. And that's going to be really uh, deep. Um, what else am I doing? Um, uh, I'm in the process of writing my second book, which is a, a collection of all of my work from poetry to the photography to the films to the paintings um and it's going to be infused with my autobiography um we're also in the process now oh i'm also oh my god i super excited about this project uh a, a woman who started we were friends on facebook and we she bought one of my pace of my paintings and we cultivated a friendship. Her name is Marlo Wyatt. She's based in LA. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly one of the most incredible writers I've ever, ever encountered. And, um, you know, when I was, after I lost my job in LA, I traveled, you know, a lot last year and I was in Arizona and Marlo sent me this six page script called Say Something about this couple. And it was mind blowing how she articulated a complex story on six pages where most people couldn't do in 125. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And, you know, and then she sent me this other project called Mothers to Mothers of Black Sons. And, and that was a monologue. And, um, you know, I was so busy in Arizona and I was like, okay, I, 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 I'll get a chance to read this eventually. And I'm walking home from the Safeway from the supermarket. I'm like, oh, let me read this now. Just, I'm, I have a mile to go. It's a one page, boom, 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 zip, 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 boom. I'm good. Marcus, dude, I open the email and I read the first sentence. And I'm standing in Cape Creek, Arizona on Tatum. And I'm bawling like the ugly really? cry snot drying from the first sentence. Wow. Wow. I had to gingerly wow. put my phone away. And I called her and I'm like, if I when I see you, I'm gonna throw something at you. Wow. And you know, Marlo asked me to write or to direct this project for her, and, and having, you know, and we're in the editing editing process of that now. So having directed this and shooting for it was just a profound honor. And it was just it's just just and to have you know such amazing people attached to this project has been incredible um and then we're going to be going to la i'm going to be flying out to la to move my stuff uh my paintings to new york and um this was kind of generated from by jerome downey who's the curator at the harlem um the la space to rev when we were when we met the first time he was like uh when i got home that night he was texting me like, hey, we got to get your stuff from L.A. And I'm thinking he's joking. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. That's, that's funny. LOL. Um, he was like, yeah, we should do a road trip. I'm like, 
laugh emoji, laugh emoji, laugh emoji. Like I'm thinking he's joking. Dude was like, no, I'm serious. And I was like, oh, okay. So my reply to him was, if you are serious, then the only way to do this would be to make it into a film where we start off in LA, do a big um, art exhibit at the Lost War Halls, which is a gallery I showed at in, in Beverly Hills, um, run by Karen Bassett, and, um, and then do a road trip, but doing pop-up art shows along the way. So like uh, some of my work is kind of um, provocative. So I'm always interested in seeing how like the people in the Trump counties would see yeah. or would react to like yes. a black, a naked black man with a burning right. flag coming from his penis, or you know the eleventh hour and mural, um, and bringing that, incorporating that into the the fold. And we're also going to be stopping at homeless shelters and food banks, talking to people who happen to be homeless, and um, then culminated it is all culminated into a big exhibit here in New York. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then we're gonna we're setting up we're in pre-production for the cracks exhibit at the um, Let's Space to Rev, which we're gonna transform this beautiful brownstone into a crack house using my photography as the exhibit um, from that particular series. So I'm sure I'm missing stuff, but wow, that's, that's some of the things I'm doing right now. So <laughs> one final question, that's a lot, which is amazing. <laughs> what would President Day Sage say to Little Sage back in the day, going through the hard times, what, what advice would you give? What would you say? Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy road, but you're going to be okay. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be hard. Um, you're going to be faced with challenges, but some of those very things that you think are going to kill you are going to be the things that give you the most nutrients. Fasten your seatbelt. You're going to be okay. It's going to hurt. But you're going to use that pain to, to heal others. Fasten your seatbelt. You're going to get through it. Because the only thing that's going to kill you is the thing that's going to kill you. And you'll survive when you didn't think you could. I wouldn't take a day back. And, you know, I... I am. Uh, there have been at least 19 times in this lifetime where my life should have ended. And, um, you know, I've seen a fair share of pain and insecurity. I've been lonely and hurt. But I've been loved and I've been fed and I've been hugged and I've been taken care of and I've been showered and I've been, you know, taught and all of that informs every ounce of my work you'll never see on a painting or by Sage Gallon you'll see my name but you won't see by because I'm very clear as to who the artist is the artist is the mother divine the god force that energy the universe and I get to just be in a vessel if I'm open so I tell that kid, fasten your seatbelt, baby. Fasten your seatbelt. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Wow. Well, <clears throat> it's been an honor to have you on the show, and thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. 
Um, we will definitely be looking for you. Please tell everybody where we can find you. Um, you can go to my website, sagegallon, G-A-L-L-O-N.com. Um, I'm, it's just all Sage Gallon. My Instagram is at Sage Gallon, Facebook Sage Gallon. They kicked me off of Twitter because I was yelling at the conservatives. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so everything is Sage Gallon. If you're in New York, come up to the um, space to rip that 246, um, uh, Malcolm X Boulevard. If you're in Brooklyn, come to Cheryl's Restaurant on Underhill. You can see my work there. And there's a lot of new you know, stuff coming up. And, you know, just keep, you know, oh, YouTube. You can see my music videos and my short films on my Sage Gallon YouTube channel. Absolutely. And it's such an honor. I implore you to check out the short films, uh, the incredible, the music, the poetry, the visual, everything. SageGallon.com, Instagram, SageGallon. I've been stalking you on on all these social (laughs) medias. So everybody, please make sure you check them out. Thank you once again. Please come back here the next time. Let us know what you're doing. It was an honor. And everybody, if you like this episode, please make some comments down below. Make sure you follow Sage on all his social media. You can follow us at One Mike Knight. One Mike Knight is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. You can follow me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. You can go to the .com for both to find out more information. Also, you can check out my other podcast with screenwriter and director Ashley Elizabeth Green. It's called One Mike Night Talk. We have lives on Instagram and you can check us out on YouTube and any other digital platform. Thank you for joining me for One Mike Night Talk podcast. I'm Marco Solis. We'll see you next time. Peace. We out.